You're listening to a podcast from West Wind Church. For more information, visit our website at westwindchurch.org. Well, happy uh, three weeks until Christmas week. So you have three decent weeks of shopping left and then two days of desperacy. So gentlemen, get out to the stores today. I recommend Friday mornings. They're pretty empty. Well, I'm excited just as we approach and continue through the narrative of Luke because we step into the verses now. He, he starts to unfold the narrative of Jesus' birth. And it, it is such a really incredible story to watch, uh, even in the verses. We'll be walk through 20 verses a day from beginning to end. One thing I've been doing recently um, is just trying to focus my heart and my life, uh, my lifestyle around getting back to the presence of God. And, and getting, moving to a place that's more than uh, preparing for a sermon and being in the Word that way. That's more than uh, reading through a devotional guide. Um, that's more than, honestly, just being in the Word. But that's actually just choosing to intentionally and purposefully be in the presence of Jesus and not talking. Like, not just saying, God, this is what I want, blah, 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 and just I'm vomiting on God. But letting Him speak to me. And man alive, is it difficult it, I've learned over the years, it takes me about one full hour of decompressing my voice to hear God's voice. One whole hour. And that's just getting to the point of like that, silence. And then to go, okay, here I am, and open my ears at that point to listen. It's tough work. And getting to that space for me has been so interesting and learning why and what I've let just take over my thinking and my process and, and what I'm struggling through, what I'm praying through, what I'm hoping for, things I am studying, the word relationships I have in my work relationships, my home relationships, my wife, my relationship with my wife, my relationship with my kids. It's just constant. Amen? It doesn't end. But to find that space with Jesus is so important. I was reading this week uh, out of the Harvard Business Review, and before you think I'm like super intelligent or anything, <laughs> Google something. It'll, what's one of the things that pops up? So, but I was reading this article about, uh, from the Harvard Business Review on communication, and they did this whole research study um, on how, how well we communicate, primarily for the purpose of the article, in the, in the business world. And some of the responses they got feedback from those that were, that were part of the study realizing that if we would just learn to listen in the context of our business relationships, both with our employees but also with our customers, things would dramatically change with how we were effective in our business. One by one by one, they recognized that the art of listening was something that they lost because they got into the motion of just getting things done. They set goals, they set patterns, they set values, and they just run after them as hard as they can because that's where the money is. But as they went through the study, they began to realize that if we don't choose to listen to the people that are around us, we actually miss the opportunity to gain, at the end for them, more money, more response, more results because they understood and they heard their employees, which means they're going to work more efficiently, more effectively, and they're going to work harder because they felt like they've been heard. But also their customers. Is the product meeting their need? 
And so they went through this whole thing, and the Harvard Business Review article goes through, like, if we could just learn how to listen, the impact on our business would increase exponentially. And I got to the bottom of that article, and I looked at when it was really written, 1957. So I don't know if the publisher got lazy that week or what, but, but there's something powerful when you see 1957. The issue of listening in the art of communication was, was lacking. Now, speed up to 2019, almost 2020. We've got these things in our pockets or in our bags or someplace. We believe that communication exists in things like text messaging, which, by the way, that's just a transfer of information. It's not actually communication. So if you think that that's what that is, if you're talking to somebody, that's not true, okay? But we have this, and it speeds up the ability. I don't have to wait for the ring dial tone, right? You don't have to go through an operator. You don't have to wait until you see someone face-to-face. You don't have to wait until the other person gets off the line in your house to get on the line to talk to somebody else. It's constant. And it's overbearing in many ways. And because of that, we just kind of get in the routine. We throw out a quick text and we get a response and we're done. We move on to the next thing. We get things instantly from 1957 on Google. And we think it's today's stuff. And it's not. We talk so fast because we kind of just get in the rhythm. And that's what life has become. This fast-paced movement through one thing to the next to the next, and makes me ask the question, how many of us believe we're good listeners? That when we step into the presence of another person, we put down our agendas, we put down our opinions, we put down all of our preferences, and we say, what you are about to say to me is important enough for me to give you eye contact and to open my ears and hear you even in the midst of the busyness and all the things that come. How many of you guys think you're a good listener? Be honest. Let me put my hand down and stick it in my pocket. How many of you guys, when you approach somebody else in your world, you go, man, you're a really good listener. You're, you're listening to me. Have you ever had someone like that? Yeah. They're treasured, aren't they? Because majority of times, I would bet that when you're talking with someone, spouses, children, You don't feel like they're listening to you. It's just a part of our world today. So even in the business world, it's speaking a truth that are we taking time to pause and to listen, to take in amongst all of the stuff going on around us, especially if we haven't heard things for a while. So as we jump into this part of the narrative in Luke, in Luke chapter two, verse uh, five, my Bible is in Matthew, which is weird. We begin to start this narrative of understanding that is God is approaching Zechariah. Now, the interesting thing about this is that um, from what we understand between Malachi and now, God has not spoken through a prophet to his people for close to 400 years. The people of Israel were waiting, clamoring, hoping for the next movement of God. They've been promised this Messiah. Isaiah declared that promise in his prophecy a few different times throughout his letter to his, his voice to the people. And they've been waiting in silence. But imagine 400 years of waiting. I can barely wait 20 minutes and I start talking again. And that's, that's really good. 
but for 400 years wanting. And so they, they start to get what I could imagine into the routine of just living. They're living under the rule of King Herod, kind of an off-site king of the Roman Empire. The Jews weren't really top of the rung, top of the ladder in the Roman Empire by any means. King Herod wasn't the worst king in the world, but I wouldn't say he was also the best king in the world. He just wanted power and rule like many kings like that, trying to move up the political ladder in the Roman Empire. And they're sitting there and they get into that, that rhythm of life that just takes over. Getting water in the morning and the evening, cooking, uh, doing their, their chores, doing their work, their business, whatever it may be, carpentry or masonry, whatever it may be, they're in the rhythms. They're going through it in and out and in and out. And then this happens in Luke. So let's start in verse five, chapter one of Luke. Now let's just read the first few verses here. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah, one of the division of Abijah, which was the region of the land that Herod really ruled over. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in Years. So let's pause here real quick. There is a powerful testimony that has just been spoken about these two people. I, don't, I read this over and over and over again, and I'm like, I, I wonder if people say this about me, that I was righteous before God and walking blameless in the commandments and statutes of the Lord. They were right before God in a world that wasn't. In a world that was broken, in a world that was falling apart, these two people have been set aside in Scripture. In this one verse that I think we often pass by too quickly, they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in the commandments and statutes of the Lord. It's powerful truth to that testimony, especially for what we are about to hear and why and how God chose to approach them. And also in these next two chapters, Keith told me not to steal his sermon over the next couple weeks, and it's going to be really hard to, but I'm going to try not to. And he goes on and he just says, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they were both advanced in years. Children in the day, they were, they were seen as a point of honor to have kids. Elizabeth was, was shamed, was looked down upon because she didn't have children. A, a, a way to pass on the family name of Zachariah a way to bring another generation in the world. But even in the midst of what she was missing, there wasn't a grumble. There wasn't anything that said, I'm out, God, I'm done. You're not giving me what I want. And the testimony here is that they were righteous before God and they upheld every point, every part of the commandments and statutes of God. That's a powerful testimony when you don't have what you want. When you're living in a world that says differently that what you don't have is what you should have and to stay in line with what God has for you. So hold on to that because let's move down to verse eight and let's watch what happens. Now, 
while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn their hearts to the fathers of the fathers to the children and the disobedient of, to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Okay, so let me pause a little bit and get into some of the details of what Zachariah's job was. So he was a priest, he was a Levite. And he was a part of a, a whole core of people, a whole tribe of people that were responsible for the work of the temple. And so I, at any given time throughout the year, there was always a priest and, and Levites involved in caring for the temple, bringing worship and sacrifice on behalf of God's people uh, in the temple. And they served in different breakdowns. So let's walk through this a little bit. You can jump into First Chronicles 23 um, through our 23 to 24, 25, and see this all lined out by David. But essentially, there's about 24,000 priests and assistants that went in to offer sacrifices and incense. 24,000. Imagine if that was the case. 24,000 Keiths and Jasons. Wouldn't that be awesome? Yeah. Um, 4,000 gatekeepers. 4,000 musicians. Imagine 4,000 Nathan Heemstras. Woo! 6,000, I can't even read that, uh, officers and judges. That's crazy to me. Now, at any given time, they were breaking down in divisions. That, that means that in those divisions, if you were called up two weeks a year, basically, you were serving in the temple. At any given time during, during the year, 1,300, close to 1,300 people were serving at the temple to come on behalf of the people of Israel before God. What I love about this, let's just take another pause, rabbit trail here. It's a bunch of people that are serving God's church, and as I was reading through this, I thought of you. And I take a quick moment to say thank you for all you do for this church, because we recognize every day that we could not do it without your volunteer work, your heart, and your service, and your passion. Everything you see is because of what you all do on whatever week that you serve during the year. And I thought that alignment was really pretty cool for me. Okay, let's step back into the story. So thank you. Um, but there's a unique time in the year that these festivals begin to happen. One of them is the Day of the Atonement. And on these festival days, everybody converges to the temple. So that means on this day when Zechariah was chosen by Lot to be the one to step into the holiest of holies, to offer the sacrifice of incense to God, Everybody was present. All 30-some thousand people were gathered around the temple. And so when it talks about how there was a multitude of people, that's a multitude. That's a big deal. 
Everyone converged on this place. So Zachariah had this job that probably maybe have only been like once in a lifetime to be chosen to go in and to offer the incense before the Lord. Now, this is a big deal too because this is a scary thing. If he did something wrong, they understood God's judgment on that could be death. And so not only was it an honor, <laughs> but there's this point of like the scariest thing you could possibly do as a Levite was to be chosen to step into the temple place and to offer this sacrifice, this offering of incense before the Lord, the prayers of the people for their atonement, for their redemption. So you're kind of capturing the image? So he's separated, he's in a different room from everybody else. He's in a deeper part of the temple than anyone else is allowed to go. The curtain that when Jesus died was torn into, this is the curtain he stands before. The mercy seat is sitting there and he's standing before it. And in that moment, where no one else is to be seen, nothing is around him, no others are able to come into the temple space with him, on the right side of the altar, Gabriel shows up. Just like that. Now, I don't know about you, but this whole thing is a pretty big deal when you think about it, and I I would lose myself in many ways. And Zachariah's response is, is so purposeful in that in the sense that he was troubled when he saw him. He was troubled and he fell, uh, fear fell upon him. This fear that Zachariah felt is like, did I do something wrong? Like, have I touched something I wasn't supposed to touch? Have I spoken words that I wasn't supposed to speak? God has sent an angel, an archangel to speak to me. There's no one allowed in this space. I was chosen, like, what is happening? And fear overfalls him. And in that moment, in Gabriel's words, which, teaser for the next coming sermons, same words he's going to speak soon to Mary. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid for I bring you good news. Your prayer has been heard. And here's the beautiful thing about uh, Zachariah's prayer. We knew that he stepped into this space to offer incense, a prayer, to, a, a scent to go up before God for the atonement of God's people. Now you would think like you're gonna, God, you just promised that you are bringing atonement for God's people. That's amazing. But Gabriel makes it personal. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. So what we see out of this is Zachariah went into that temple that day and he offered up two prayers. He burned the incense for the atonement of the people of Israel. He offered a prayer asking for that atonement. And he offered a prayer, Lord, give us a child. Even when it seems impossible, would you bless us with a child? Now here's a cool thing. When Gabriel said, I heard your prayer, think about the storyline here. Gabriel promised him a son, John. John is a miracle. John's life was purposed and planned to be the voice in the wilderness, the caller of Jesus himself, the Messiah. The atonement of God's people is the Messiah. The promise of John is the voice that promises the Messiah. Both prayers were answered. And I don't even know if Zachariah knew it at the moment. Gabriel's standing there announcing this beautiful news that even in the next chapters we're gonna see the promise of Jesus through Mary. But right here, right now, in this moment, in the stillness of this place, in the midst of his fear, 
He's offered this promise. And so let's take a look at um, his response. And, and as he's living in this fear, let me, let me point out something about fear because this is a, a big deal for us because there's really kind of two kinds of fear and I think Zachariah is experiencing this. When he first saw Gabriel, it was this external fear, this judgment that he felt like, did I do something wrong? Was something about to happen because God sent a messenger to me and, and this might be the end of it. And Gabriel sues that, says, do not be afraid. This external fear in this way, and I wanna, I wanna get this wrong the way I wrote it down, it's this external side that, that we don't have to be afraid because God is bigger than all of this. So when we look out, we fear what's out in front of us. We have to understand what Gabriel's saying is that don't be afraid. God is bigger than what you fear. But yet there's this also internal fear, and this is the fear of God. It's a heart condition. And so as the Lord starts to speak to us, we might be afraid of what he's gonna say or afraid of what he's asking us to do, but we gotta trust that he's bigger than that. And he's got it in his hands. But we also have this internal position of our hearts to say, God, I fear you. I have awe and reverence before you. You see the, the two unique things about that? It's a powerful thing that Zechariah stood, stood into. And it's when they, he stood in that presence of God, not afraid of what surrounded him, he was able to hear what God was saying. But Zechariah had a struggle with that. Because starting in verse 18, Let's jump into this next piece. And Zechariah said to the angel, his response after hearing this promise, after hearing he told it, you are gonna have a son, you can call him John, and, and there's gonna be joy and gladness and rejoicing that comes because of him. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. Smart guy. He calls himself old and says, but my wife is advanced in years. So even in his fear, he has some kind of like normal moment. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting, thousands of people waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. They were concerned because if he had done something wrong, he would have been struck dead. So they're getting a little bit concerned and fearful too. And when he came out, he was unable to speak, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute, trying to communicate something, but didn't have his voice to thousands of people. Imagine that. And when his time of service was ended, he just went to his home. So because he didn't believe that there was doubt in him, he was given this mute nature, silenced. What I would say is to experience God's promise. So sometimes doing can be easier than listening. Sometimes it's simpler to follow God's commands and statutes than to hear the voice of God. And so sometimes God's gotta, I'm gonna say it in church, shut us up so we can hear his voice. So we can hear the promise that he's gonna reveal to us and maybe even understand the promise that he already has. Because it's interesting in our world, 1957, go all the way back to before Christ's birth, to now when we have everything going for us, we kinda get in routines, we create routines because it helps us 
get, meet the goals that we want to get to, to kind of get through day after day after day. I bet, I bet you anybody in here has like a shower routine that says you just do the same thing every morning. You dry off in the same exact way every day. You have a routine through your work, the route you take to your job, your office. How much coffee do you drink on any given morning? Your rhythm, your calendar that's in your phone that you're running through a schedule, a routine. What about your spiritual life? I do 15 minutes a day in the morning and, and I've got 10 minutes of prayer and you know, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna do my Bible study for my life group and hey, I'm gonna go to church on Sunday. I'm gonna serve every third week and, and then, and then I'm, gonna, I'm, just gonna, I'm gonna take some time just to be with other believers and, and I'm gonna build some relationship and I'm just gonna build these things into my rhythm of walking with Jesus and, and they're good things. There's nothing bad about any of those things. I encourage them. I implore you to live in those things but when they become routine, Sometimes they just become routine. And sometimes you just get through the motions of doing that. And, and sometimes you just have to, I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna force myself to spend 15 minutes in the Word because it's good to be in the Word and God will speak in that moment. But when we're forced to that place, it just becomes sometimes routine. And in the routine, we stop spending time in the presence of Jesus. In routine, we stop hearing the voice of Jesus speak to us. And it's awesome because we can look at our journals, man, I'm spending time with the Lord all day long. I've got stuff outlined in my Bible. I take home the connect card and there's notes filled all in and it's just really good and that's just what you do every week. But I wonder what's in that. Do we get caught up in that routine? That's the simple side of doing life with Jesus. The more difficult side is actually hearing what he has to say to us and then following through with it believing that what he's promised, what he's declared over us is true and to step into that. And then sometimes things in life happen. God doesn't make everything happen to us. Some of it's just natural. Some of it's just life. Some of it's just sin. But sometimes God will move us to a place to have things go on around us to make us pause, to make us come to a space where we have to listen and trust in an almighty God. Sometimes we allow routine to overtake our obedience. And when that happens, God's got to do some pretty crazy things to open up our ears and our hearts to hear his promise, to understand the promises he's already given us. And Zachariah went through that struggle he didn't, he didn't understand what was happening. He's like, I don't even believe, Lord, that, that what, you're gonna, what you just said to me, Gabriel, that what you just shared with me can actually be true. I'm an old guy. My wife, she's advanced, right? I, God, I don't get it. And I know I'm fulfilling all of these things that, that you've asked me to, and I, I'm righteous, and I'm trying to do my best, and I'm here in the temple, and I'm serving in the way that you've asked me to serve, but I just don't believe it. And then to walk out, I, I, wish, I wish there was a way that scripture and Luke could have pulled out what was going on in Zechariah's mind because to lose all the ability to externally communicate, the only conversation he could have had was with God because the only being that we will ever know that can read our thoughts and our minds is God. The only one that can hear the rumblings of our hearts, the stir-
stirrings of our process is God. And to be able to sit in those moments for nine months until he was able to spoke when John was born. Imagine nine months of silence. Nine months of not being able to communicate externally. Finding ways around that to share what God's doing in and around your life, but then to wrestle with what God is speaking to you in the silence. Now, Elizabeth's response was a little bit different. Verse 24 and 25, after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived promise of John fulfilled. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. Now, let's take in the the context of the culture here that they live in. It's a communal culture. Zachariah was a Levite, so his role in the temple was was present and, and active. People sought him out as a priest. People came to them, to their home, to their world. They lived probably amongst family every day, in and out. Their quarters were not your quarter acre lots or even larger one plus acreages. They literally lived like structure on top of structure within each other's community. Day to day they interacted. For five months, Elizabeth stopped and stepped out of all of that. All the routine, all the chaos of what was going on around her for five months. This isn't bed rest. This was a response to what God had just given her. Now, you can imagine she was advanced in years. She wasn't supposed to be able to get pregnant. Everybody in her community knew that. All of a sudden, baby bump comes along. And they're like, what is happening? You can imagine the stir in the community of what has gone on. Zachariah can't talk. You're pregnant. What's happening here? And then the chaos moves from from like nothing's going on to trying to figure it out and there's a lot of chatter, a lot of talk. When someone gets pregnant, we get excited. We share that story, we pass it on. But imagine if you knew that you couldn't and then all of a sudden you did and God blesses that. The commotion goes up. Elizabeth does this really incredible thing. She removes herself from all of that celebration or that chaos or the the rumor mill or whatever it was. And I I say in confidence because of what she speaks out here, that she did that to take hold of, to take in all that God was doing because she says this, thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me. That God has done something for me. He didn't forget about me. He heard our prayers. He heard our cries. He knows my most innermost desire. And he looked down on me. He heard me and he saw me in this moment of my life. And it wasn't just a redemption. I'm not even sure Elizabeth understood fully yet. It's gonna come soon. Fully yet, the promise of John was the promise of Jesus, the Messiah. The fulfillment of the atonement of his people, the responsibility of her husband to go into the temple that day. But but Lord, you've removed this reproach, this dishonor, this shame that I have for not being born. You gave me, you fulfilled for me in something that I desired so much. And you set me apart in a way that not many other people are set apart. And she took time to step back out of all of that chaos and to take all of that in. 
Later on, we're going to see Mary do the same thing. When Jesus comes, she takes it all in and she ponders all that God was doing. And I love those moments of peace when we're able to settle into the realities of what God has done in our lives and soak up the truth of who he is, that he sees us and he hears us, that we're not left alone, but maybe we just need to get out of the routines that we're in and recognize that these aren't bad routines, but we also need to create space to listen and to hear what God is saying, that he knows your name. That his redemption, his work in the birth of Jesus and the work of the cross is to know you. He knows exactly what you need. He hears your prayers and your cries. And his heart is for you. For you to the point that Jesus came out of his heavenly place, seated with God, made himself into the fullness of man to give himself up as a sacrifice for you. You've heard me say this before, that Jesus would rather die than live without you. The promise that we see being unfolded through Zechariah is leading us to that ultimate promise and that guarantee of salvation through Jesus when we have a relationship with him. There's beauty to this, but too often times we get caught up in the routine that we either forget it or we ignore it. There's too many questions about scripture. I just don't want to deal with it. It's too hard to explain. I don't get it. God's been silent for too long. He doesn't speak anymore to me. I don't hear anything he's saying to me. I'm just done. I'll I'll try to keep up with all I'm supposed to do to be a Christian. I'm trying to do this day in and day out, day in and day out, and it's discouraging. I feel like I'm being looked down upon because of how I'm trying to live my life. Church, God hears you and sees you in these moments. And I wonder if we're just able to pause and reflect and receive God's promise. We take moments to live in that place, what he could do. Instead of just powering through the routine of our lives, powering through the routine of living a good Christian life and missing his redemption. Zachariah's story is just that. Don't be afraid. I have good news. You will be given a son. I'll take care of that son because that son's gonna proclaim the name of the Messiah to the world. You're a part of my greater story. Church, God is a part of your greater story. Just like he was with Zachariah and Elizabeth. Now, maybe part of your story is in bringing in a figure into the world that's ultimately going to lead to announcing a change in the world. But maybe, just maybe, he's going to do something through you that you never imagined. And maybe it's just going to come generations from you. It may not be one or two generations away, but because of your faithfulness to the word of God, your faithfulness to serve him, your faithfulness to love him with all that you have, your faithfulness to stop and pause and to listen to God's voice and to hear what he has for you, the power of what he will do through you. It's a beautiful thing. This morning we get to celebrate communion. We get to celebrate this promise that Zechariah was given, that this is where Jesus came for, for the purpose to redeem, to make atonement, 
to make us right with God again. And yeah, we celebrate the birth of Jesus in the time of Christmas. But the birth of Jesus is celebrating the work of the cross that we can have relationship back with God. That curtain that stood before and hung before Zachariah in that temple will be split in two, allowing us access to the presence of God. What we have that's different than Zachariah has is we have the full presence of God. We can go through the curtain into the place of God and say, God, here I am. And the voice of God can speak to us if we're willing to go there. And here's one thing. I really believe God speaks to us all the time. I just don't think we take time to hear it. I think we have forgotten how to listen in our world. And so as we step into this point of communion, I want to invite the volunteers to come to the tables. And this is how I want you to to encourage you to come forward to these tables silently, settling down whatever is going on in your life and know that God hears you and sees you and he knows what is happening in you and around you. And he's bigger than all those things. And that leads us to this this fear of God, this awe and reverence of God. You've got this. And as you come to the tables, you will be served the bread and the cup. The bread symbolizing Christ's broken body for you to meet you right where you are. And the cup representing his shed blood for you, cleansing your sins and guaranteeing your access to Christ, to him eternally. This is the gospel laid out that we get to practice together as the church. We get to celebrate the fulfillment of what Zachariah was promised that day. Some thousands of years ago, here we are today, almost 2020, celebrating the same promise, the same work that he wants to have in your life. So will you close your eyes with me? And here at Westwood, we just do it real simply. We just band will play and we invite you to come forward and be served with bread in the cup and maybe you can have it at that moment you want to go back to your seat maybe as friends or as spouses or as families you want to step to the side and just step into the presence of Jesus a silent moment and to hear his promise over you that this is my body which was broken for you this is my blood that was shed for you take this in remembrance of me Receive the promises of the Messiah for your life. Receive the truth that God hears you and sees you. And he wants to be more and more a part of your life every day. Lord, as a church, may we just come to these tables to celebrate your work on the cross. Lord, may we celebrate that that started with your birth. May we celebrate that that birth came following the announcement of John who made much of your name. And as the narrative of this story begins, Lord, may we have a moment like Zachariah and Elizabeth to stand in your presence and say, God, you know me, you've heard me, you see me, and you love me. Father, I pray if there's people in this room that don't have a personal relationship with you, that they will understand the simplicity of just saying the words, Lord, I trust you, I'm a sinner, and I need you. 
I can't do this life anymore without you. I invite you into my life. And following that, my first response of worship is to take the bread and the cup and receiving your promise for my life. So may we come this morning, as you feel led and as the Spirit's leading, to come to a table. There's two up front, there's two in the back. And then come back and respond to the worship of God together as a body of Christ. Let's partake together. It can be tough if we don't feel like we've heard the voice of the Lord for a while. But I believe he's speaking all the time. My encouragement to us is that we continually find that space to, to kind of shut down the routine, to step fully into the presence of God and in the stillness and in the quietness of his love for you. And my prayer for us, church, is that in those moments, in his time, it may be a long time, but in his time, he will continue to speak and then he will reveal a promise for you that is gonna change your life. And because of his presence in you and through that promise, it'll probably change others. And to hear the same words that he spoke to Zechariah, and you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice that you may have joy and gladness and that many will rejoice around you because of the promises that he has and at the basis of it all, the core of it all, the foundation of it all, you've already received the opportunity of that promise through Jesus. So no matter what you may want in this world and what you desire the most in this world, know and hold on firm to the promise that you have Jesus and through Jesus you have eternal life and nothing is greater, nothing ever will be greater than that promise and that truth that started with the voice in the wilderness of John that led us to the understanding and the knowledge and the life of the Messiah, Jesus, for you. May we never walk away the same. We know his love for us. If there's a way that we can pray for you, our elders are up here at the front after each service. and They're gonna come forward now and just, if you would like a place just to receive prayer, we would love to pray for you in the presence of this space. If you're visiting us here, again, we're so glad you're here. We don't wanna lose connection with you. We wanna help you step into the journey of what Jesus is doing here at Westwind. So please come by and talk to our guest services volunteers. And know that as we go forward, we get to take the light of the truth of what this is to serve others in our community. And we have a great place to do that with single parent provision. And so I say all those things, not just for a second round of announcements, because God is using us as a church to minister to one another and to step into the world with his light of the gospel and to see that promise change many. Praying for you this week, church. Have an incredible, incredible week. And may God be glorified through your life. Amen.